Good morning, Hallmark Baptist Church. How are you doing this morning? Are you excited? It's 9.38 Sunday, and they just found me on the side of the road and said, hey, do you know Jesus? You, you should probably teach today. And so uh, if it's an absolute failure of a message, my wife wrote it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, this is my wife, Kelsey Prez. She's sitting in the front. She's the real champ here. It's easy to stand and, you know, do all of these things, but to be over eight months pregnant and to still look that good, like this is, this is something that uh, is very special. Uh, but we're so grateful to be here this morning. Uh, my name is Andrew Perez. My wife and I are going to be mission, missionaries to the Philippines. Uh, if you want to open up your Bibles, if you brought one or your phone, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35 through, guess what, 38. So you can open up, and uh, while you guys are finding your place there, I, I just want to take this opportunity to say thank you. I know I speak for all of the missionaries here in this room, but especially the ones all throughout uh, the history, really, of Hallmark that you guys have supported. It is because of your faithfulness, because of your prayer, because of your generosity, that thousands upon thousands of people are being reached all over the world. And not only do you guys believe in that greater commission, but also I can tell that it's burdened and, and rooted deep in your hearts here as you've loved on us so well. You've fed us some incredible barbecue, whether or not you know it. Oh man, it was, it was incredible. And some of you are like, okay, you're starting to make me hungry. Then let's pray and wrap this up. No, but we are so grateful that you guys have been so generous to us, and uh, we just want to in turn say, say thank you. Uh, we're excited. Kelsey and I are praying that we can get on the field by August, but first we've got a baby coming in March, and so uh, we're just uh, so grateful to receive all of your guys' prayers and, and support in that. Uh, in March of 2021, Kelsey and I have been uh, a year married at this point. We went on our honeymoon to Hawaii. Now this is, uh, it's kind of like one of the cool facts that I get to share with people, but then it's quickly downhill. I tell them I, uh, you know, I, I'm, I was born in Hawaii and everyone's like, wow, that's incredible. You're probably a surfer. You're probably, and then I tell them I moved uh, two months after I was born. And uh, like I said, downhill from there, moved to Arizona. Nobody calls that the Hawaii of the mainland. Uh, but we, I was born and raised there. Uh, Kelsey and I met in Springfield, Missouri. I graduated from Baptist Bible College. And it's really awesome to see. I've been trying to repeat this theme as we share our testimonies. Because it's true for both Kelsey and I. We didn't grow up with missionaries around us. We didn't grow up in a long lineage of missionary families. Or somebody to, to hold our hand and walk us through step by step. We, we simply just... I mean, it feels like we stumbled upon it, but, but the Lord guided us to it that we found out that there are people around the world who have little to no access to the gospel in languages that we probably will never learn and, and cultures that we won't fully ever understand. And Kelsey and I begin to be burdened by this. And so we, we were uh, uh, married, engaged uh, in just 11 months, and we're like, man, this is, this is incredible. Like, we're, we're excited to go and to use our lives uh, to share the gospel with the people in the Philippines. And so uh, a year later, in 2021, uh, this is our honeymoon. We're in Hawaii, and we're having a great time. This is, you know, post-COVID, like a lot of restrictions were being lifted. So we were just enjoying ourselves. And uh, if you know anything about Kelsey and I, we really love Asian cuisine, like any type. I'm talking like the Thai food, Japanese food, like you name it. If it's in Asia, it's likely that we like it. Except we, uh, we learned a little bit about fermented horse milk uh, in Mongolia. And that might not be one of the first things that we jump on. But here in Hawaii, uh, Kelsey and I, we were going to China. 
Chinatown because we're ready to eat some. Maybe we're going to find some dim sum and, and maybe we're going to stop by a Chinese bakery. And so we did. And uh, then we walked through the markets and we were just seeing a, a lot of people that had uh, moved from China and now are living here uh, in Hawaii. And to the best of our ability, we were sharing some kind of broken phrases, trying to interact with them. And, and it was a lot of fun. And we did. We, we got some incredible pastries. And so up next on the agenda, we were just going to try and find the most beautiful spot that we could sit down and eat these incredible Chinese pastries. And so we kept driving and, and then we saw like some directions towards some really beautiful scenery. I mean, some of the most incredible things, especially coming from Arizona where it's like, man, things growing I thought was a myth, you know, kind of like a unicorn. Uh, like there are places out there with grass and uh, just not in Arizona. And so we were driving and I'm like some beautiful, picturesque, like it, large, like mountain looking, like like hills that were so green and and we drove a little bit further and there were just flowers and and things like exotic colors like these exotic reds and oranges and so we just kept driving and driving it it seemed to be leading us up this path and we parked at the top and so we got out and we were just looking around and it was just I mean the most gorgeous scenery you've ever seen in your life and then we walked down a little bit uh, out of our car, down this, these stairs, beautiful stairs. And then we stopped in front of this, this monument, it looked like. And as we were reading and kind of looking at it, there were Chinese inscriptions on it. But, and then we saw another sign that said it was a cemetery. And before the tombstone, we were looking and there were coins and money and incense being burned. So... It was likely that there was some sort of ancestral worship going on there. And God did something in my heart that I wasn't expecting. Remember, we're, we're, on, we're on a honeymoon. Like, we're, we're just trying to, like, like, have incredible amounts of fun. I wasn't really looking forward to, like, internally being so broken. And yet God did something to my heart as I looked at this tombstone. It was likely that the man who was buried here died without hearing the name of Jesus. Or without the gospel. And it seemed that way to me because of uh, the ancestral worship that was likely taking place. And I, I wish it was written in English so maybe I could, you know, find something out about this person. And so now I'm frantically like looking around like there, any t- sort of hope for me to have to, to cling on. That, that maybe this person uh, had been shared the gospel. That they had heard about Jesus. Maybe they accepted and maybe this was just family that wasn't saved that was going there. So I'm like looking around trying to see if there's maybe a cross or some sort of symbol that would indicate maybe the gospel had touched there and, and nothing. And God like tore my heart in two. Like I could feel it in my gut. Like I, I almost wanted to throw up. Like the way that Jesus was breaking my heart at this point for this person in particular, whoever they were that I'll never meet, that died honestly way before I was even born. He was breaking me up inside. And as I was looking for some sort of hope, um, I turned around and, and I saw this. It's a picture of cemeteries, like tombstones everywhere. This wasn't just one. It was a cemetery with over 10,000 different burials, likely of people who did not hear the gospel and who passed away without knowing Jesus Christ as their Savior. Man, I was tore up. Again, I, I wasn't planning to experience that. This is our honeymoon, and yet I could not shake 
this thought. That these cemeteries, these tombstones, are really representative of those all around the world. Billions that are currently without knowledge of the truth, and that truth being Jesus. And what we're going to see in the text this morning, and what I've truly experienced really at that cemetery that day, is that there are masses upon masses of people with no hope. I mean, here, but especially all around the world. And God is concerned and has a heart for the nations. I mean, this is not just a New Testament idea. This is an Old Testament theme that we see all the way through the completion of the Bible. In Revelation chapter 7, like the end, we see all nations and tribes are represented before the throne. God loves the nations. He loves the multitude. He loves the masses. And we're grateful this morning, especially in our personal testimonies, that God also cares about the individual. But I want to just ask us this question this morning, and and we're praying that the Holy Spirit would change our heart and maybe convict us if we don't feel the way Jesus did. But my question as we get into it this morning is, how do you feel when you see the masses? Like, whether you're in a crowd or maybe you visited a a busy city, like we had the privilege of going to New York and especially Manila with uh, 25 million people in Metro Manila, like there are masses of people. Maybe you've seen pictures or, or maybe you see videos online. What do you do? How do you feel when you see the masses? When you're in a crowded city with people all around you, what type of emotions are welling up inside you? And in response to that, what can we do? Let's read the passage this morning, I'll pray, and then we'll get into the rest of the message. It says in, in verse 35, And Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And seeing the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the beauty of your word, that it both convicts us and encourages us. And this morning, as we look at uh, really the emotions and the charge of your son, Jesus... We pray that the Holy Spirit would do a work in us to maybe convict us to be missionaries ourselves, to go where the gospel has yet to go, or maybe it's to encourage us to share the gospel, the the truth of of who you are and how you want to save people even in our communities and in our neighborhoods. Father, would you help us to love the nations like you love the nations, to care about the masses, to have compassion for them, so much so that it would move us to action. We pray that your word would help us see clearly what it is that we ought to do. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to be obedient exactly to what it is you're calling us to. We're grateful for the gift of salvation that we know is only available through Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So starting there in verse 35, And Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Like this is a good ministry day. 
Like Jesus is going through town to town, city to city, and things are happening. Like Jesus is he's going to the synagogues. I, I would have loved to be in this atmosphere where Jesus is showing them through the scriptures how he is the fulfillment of them. That Jesus is the answer that they've been looking for. If you were uh, here... Uh, Really throughout the, the week, the beginning of the week, where uh, we got to share about the passage just before this, you know that uh, what Jesus is making uh, evident to everybody is that we all have this illness, we all have this blindness, we all have this disease called sin that only Jesus can heal. He's, he's the only one that can do these things. And so Jesus is now, he's teaching this in the synagogues, that all of the Old Testament prophecy, the things that the scriptures are talking about concerning this future Messiah, this future Savior, this future King, is fulfilled in Jesus. Man, what an an opportunity it would have been to be there, but it doesn't even stop there. Jesus goes on, why should we, you might ask, why should we share the gospel? Well, Jesus did it. Jesus was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus is... All about, if you maybe are thinking of another verse that you've heard in the gospel, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Like this is the purpose of Jesus' first coming. He came as a savior to forgive sin. And he's inviting and reconciling people to himself. Jesus is moved to share the gospel with people. And then... Not only that, but a cherry on top is Jesus is healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. I mean, if there was ever any doubt that Jesus was who he says he was, look at all of these miracles that are taking place. Where the common response, especially from the Jewish people, would be, man, this has to be the guy. This has to be the one. Nobody else would be able to do the things that he's doing except if he were God. Jesus was doing all of these things. Ministry is going incredible. And then it seems like the next verses that follow would would continue to go upwards. Like this, maybe these feelings of elation, even though it's a lot of hard work, it's like, man, a lot of good things are happening. People are being taught. The gospel is being shared. and, And people are being healed. And then it seems like there's an abrupt change in, in the story. And we get an insight to what Jesus himself was feeling. It says, in seeing the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd. Man, I, I pray and have been convicted and, and I would even confess to you this morning that I have not always felt compassion for people, especially not to the degree that I know Jesus is feeling here. Oh, man, would the Holy Spirit do something in us that we wouldn't be able to look at another human being who is made in the image of God and not be concerned with their spiritual destination. Not, not, not to be concerned with, with who they are and, and to have compassion on them. I think we're especially seeing in our country, there's an all-time high for being divisive, to being divided and being separated. And like We could think of a million different reasons as why we wouldn't associate with these people or talk to these people. And yet Jesus sees the masses and is moved with compassion. When Jesus saw the crowds, he recognized that they were both helpless And hopeless. In a condition that they couldn't save themselves from. And this condition is the same that we experience here today. It's the same that we experience all over the world. In different cultures and in different languages. The problem is the same. 
We are all born with a sin nature, and because of that, we, we sin. We re- rebel against God. And God is a just God, so he's not going to let sin go unpunished. And so he is uh, storing up wrath for people who sin, for people who are sinning and rebelling against him. But the good news of the gospel is this, that Jesus died in our place. So that if we are putting our trust in his sacrifice, in his life, that the wrath that Andrew Perez deserves for his sin is completely covered by the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus sees these crowds, as you have often seen pictures of people all over the world, and he's moved with compassion because they too are in a completely helpless and hopeless state if God doesn't intervene. All of us are like this. I, I, I am here. And if it wasn't for Jesus, I would still be there in a helpless and hopeless situation. But not only was Jesus feeling compassion, he was moved with compassion. And I think it's important for us to know that this is the cornerstone, the, the motivation of why we do what we do. The motivation for doing global missions is the compassion of God. Jesus loves the nations, so much so that he died on the cross, not just for America, but for people all over the world. And that's confirmed in what we see in Revelation chapter 7. All of the nations are represented before the throne. See, without compassion, there really is no cause Without compassion and a love for people in their helpless and hopeless state, there is no urgency, especially for global missions. Like, oh, we can, we can send missionaries like 10, 20 years from now. It's really, it's all right. But man, if we're moved with compassion for the helpless and hopeless state that we were once in and that others are still in, there is a sense of urgency to reach them. As Carl Henry says, that the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. There is urgency, compassion for people who are in a helpless and hopeless state. Without any compassion, there is no authenticity. We're simply giving or going just so that we might look good or so that we might feel good. If there is no compassion, there certainly won't be any sacrifice. If we don't care about the souls of people all over the world, why would I ever give of my own income here? We wouldn't. But if we care deeply, are moved with compassion, then it really is no sacrifice but an opportunity to join in with what God is doing all over the world. And if there is no compassion for the lost people of the world, then I would argue we cannot be like Christ. Because Jesus saw the crowds and he was moved with compassion. And so what kind of crowds do we see in our day? Well, there are crowds that we see here in Fort Worth. There are crowds that we see maybe if you are in school. There's crowds all around you. There's crowds in your workplace as, as you're an employer. But even we have access now to what they didn't back then. Is we have phones, we have internet, we have computers to be able to see crowds, to learn about people groups all over the world but with the, the touch of a finger, like in seconds. Do we feel compassion for them? Are we burdened by that? I mean, a staggering number, one that I I can't really even comprehend with my own mind, is that there are 3.37 or 3.4 billion people 
in the world right now with little to no access to the gospel? How do we feel? Like, what does that do in us internally? But not only that, is, is of those people, there are about 7,400 7, plus unreached people groups that are waiting to hear the gospel. If unreached people group is, is maybe a term that's new to you, to, to put it simply, is that there are people in these groups with maybe a special language, a, a different culture than those who are surrounding them, who will be born, live, and die, and likely never hear the name of Jesus once. Never hear the truth of the gospel, not even one time. I'm certainly grateful how many times the Lord had somebody share the gospel with me. But man, there are 3.4 billion people who are still waiting to hear about Jesus. And we read on, it says, Then he, Jesus, said to his disciples... So being moved with compassion, Jesus then asks his disciples to do something. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So here's the answer to this incredible problem that we see today in the 3.4 billion people who have little little to no access to the gospel, to the lost people in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in, in our work. Jesus gives us the solution. He says, therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. See, the motive, the reason why we do what we do, the reason why you can say maybe even a see you later to the missionaries that you're sending out of your church, who you've built community with, that Maybe uh, the the motive for the missionary who is going to be sacrificing, moving away from family, uh, missing out on holidays, that the reason that you would sacrificially give above and beyond what you already give as a tithe to the church, the motive is compassion. But the method is prayer and people. See, the, the Lord of the harvest will hear our prayers and through them send people out into the nations, supported by people. And so we're going to focus on those two things. The, the, the first is prayer. I think in, in light of recent events, you've probably seen uh, through pro- multiple uh, social media platforms, is that there is topics of, conversations of revival all over the nation. And if we're going to look at uh, a a couple instances in history that we see in Scripture and that maybe that we would acknowledge as revivals, that one thing is common. That revival, at least in the examples that I'm going to give you today, does not take place without prayer. But like, what if I like uh, like convolute this incredible program or or what if I set this up? It seems like the the way that revival takes place is through prayer. What if we could see a revival of more laborers, more missionaries being sent than ever in history? It won't happen because we come up with a nice three-point sermon. It will happen because we get on our knees and beg the Lord of the harvest to send more laborers. I'm a product of that. Somebody prayed for more laborers. And Kelsey and I looked at our lives and realized, well, we don't really know what we're doing. We don't really have it all figured out. We don't have any of the answers that it seems like other missionaries have, but we're just going to say yes. In Nehemiah chapter 8, 
You can read about a revival that took place there where the prayer for that revival took place in Nehemiah chapter 1. Acts chapter 2, we know the incredible things that happened at Pentecost. Before that, they gathered and prayed in the upper room. In, in 1857, prayer revival began with prayer. In 1905, the Pyeongchang revival in South Korea began with prayer. This is what is in common, is we must get on our knees and beg God to do something that we cannot. So not only is prayer involved, but people are involved. All throughout Scripture, there is no doubt that the means that God uses to save people is people. God will save somebody by his grace and by his mercy and by the power of the gospel and by the hearing of his word. And then those saved people go out and share as witnesses. God uses saved people to save people. And I think it's important for us to, to see the balance of the text. Is that it's, it's not as if God is, you know, really sweating up there and like hoping, man, I, I hope they get involved because I'm just, I, I, I'm out of options and I don't really have, like God is in control. Whose harvest is it? It's the Lord's harvest. He's done all the work. He sent Jesus as the perfect sacrifice. Jesus has laid the foundation for these disciples to join in with what he's doing. And then we can see all throughout history, we'll look at in just a couple of minutes, the church has been moving. People are getting saved. The harvest is ripe. But it does require people. See, the picture, uh, maybe you could go there in your, in your mind's eye. Picture you're walking down alongside a dusty back road. Maybe your car broke down. I don't really know why you're there, but you're there. Okay, go there, go there with me. We might even have a picture uh, coming up soon is you're walking down this dusty back road and, and you come across a man whose back is turned to the road and he's looking out to a field like, like the one that you see uh, in the picture. And he invites you to stop looking at him for just a quick second and, and take a look at the field. I mean, acres upon acres, as far as the eye can see, full of golden brown wheat ready to harvest. And then he asks you, not to plant it, not to water it, not to make sure it gets proper sunlight. It's already ripened to harvest. All he asks is that you would help him collect it. Not till the soil, not plant the seeds, not water it or even to wait. All the work has been done by him. You only need to bring it in. So Jesus has established multiple times in the gospel and reminds us again at the end of Matthew that the Great Commission is the winning game plan. We don't have to be nervous about whether or not the money that we give or the life that we commit to missions overseas will be worth it. It will be. Jesus wins. In the end, it's the winning game plan. See, because only the Lord can save. He's done that work. Only the God can open blind eyes. Only God can radically change a people group and a community. Only God can make disciples of every nation. And he will. We're on the winning team. And so the question is not, will Jesus' mission come to fruition? Not, will it come to pass? Not, will it be successful? The question is, will you join in with what he's doing? Like, I look at my life and... 
oftentimes I'm reminded of my own flaws and, and just I, Satan is quick to like accuse me and just bring up things that it's like, you can't do this. Remember when you did this? Remember your past? Remember your... But I'm grateful that it's not my harvest. It is not because of the perfect life of Andrew that people can be saved. If that were true, then none of us would have any hope. The work has been done by Jesus. We just simply are joining in with his harvest. And so we're going to do a few things as we kind of near the end of the message. We're going to look back. Let's look back at all the incredible things that God has done throughout history. It's obviously not an exhaustive list or else we, we would be here for quite a long time. But then we're going to look forward. Maybe dream a little of maybe what God can do in the next 10 years, the next 20 years, if we would join in with his harvest that's taking place all over the world. And then we're going to look beside us to see what it is that God would have us to do right here and right now in 2023. So looking back, we know that the the end of Matthew ends with the Great Commission. Jesus is charging his disciples to go out and to make disciples of every nation, every people group. And he even gives them instructions. I'm grateful for that. I'm not the brightest person, so I need instructions to follow. He says to teach them. And then not only to teach them, but then to baptize them. I mean, you got to evangelize, then you got to teach them. and And then these disciples are being made all over the nation. Like, this is what has happened at the end of Matthew. And we see that leading into Acts, like, it begins to happen. 3,000 saved at Pentecost. And then we see Paul's missionary journey, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, going into places that it hadn't been before. That was in 47 and 55 AD. And then in 112 AD, we see this incredible church growth in Bithynia. In 150 AD, the gospel reaches now modern-day Portugal and Morocco. In 174, the first Christian movement that at least is recorded is happening in Austria. In 197, there are reports of the gospel sweeping and spreading through North Africa. Skipping forward uh, a lot of time in 800 uh, through 1015, the gospel explodes, resulting in hundreds of churches all throughout Europe. In the 1500s to 1600s, missionaries uh, were sent to the island of the Sea of Java and in China and Mozambique and Venezuela and Puerto Rico and Haiti and Cuba and Ethiopia, Mexico, Peru, modern-day Vietnam, Paraguay, uh, Malaysia, Thailand, and Cambodia. Like, the gospel is spreading rapidly. And then in the 1700s to 1900s, some of the most famous missionaries of all time that we've heard trailblaze generationally shifting missionary endeavors. Maybe some names that you're familiar with. William Carey to India. Adoniram Judson to Burma or Myanmar. David Livingstone to Southern Africa. Hudson Taylor to China. Amy Carmichael to India. Jim and Elizabeth Elliot to Ecuador. And then skipping forward to maybe a time that's a little closer to home, in the 1950s, the BBFI sent out missionaries. This is uh, the missions organizations that we're affiliated with. It's one that I know is close to your home and is ingrained in your roots. And I just want to encourage you with this. This is our last thing that we'll look at as we're looking back, and then we'll look forward. That in just the past 10 years, again, this is only the BBFI, But this could get us incredibly excited about what Jesus is doing in an even greater capacity. In just the BBFI, in the past 10 years, 
there have been 1,198,489 salvations. Is that not incredible? Like what God is doing in just the past 10 years. And this is a number that, again, is, is above my pay grade. But to begin to understand, in just the past 10 years, $345 million has been given to the cause of global missions. If you're, if you're doing that math, maybe you're a lot smarter than I am. If you could put a dollar amount, because maybe you're like, I, I, I can't give that much. There's no way. If we factored it out to how much this would cost a week for one soul, it comes out to $6 a week per soul. Is that worth it? I, I think the resounding answer would be yes. God has done some incredible things in our past. But I, like you, don't think that he's finished. On at least the, the BBFI church records. Again, this is a, a, a number that doesn't even compare to all of the other organizations and other uh, Jesus-following, gospel-preaching churches all over the world. But just in our small fellowship, it seems like in comparison to the rest of the world. There are about uh, 2,220 records of uh, BBFI-affiliated churches. What could God do with those 2,000-plus churches? Well, if we have about 7,400 unreached people groups left... What could God do in the next 10 years? What if we committed each one of those churches to sending out just four missionaries within the next 10 years? We could have enough to reach those people groups. Or maybe if we were to help out and step in in areas where maybe other churches wouldn't be sending out missionaries, what if we asked God, what if we begged God even here this morning to send out in 10 years 10 missionaries? Man, in just the BBFI circle, think about how many missionaries that is all over the world. It's important for us to know that the Great Commission isn't like the side quest. This is the main reason that the church exists. To make disciples here and all over the world in every nation. God could use us. He desires to use us. So we looked back, we maybe dreamed a little bit about what God could do if we begged and if we prayed God to send more missionaries. And so now, maybe the most difficult part is to look beside us, to look inside of us. Because we can be moved with compassion, but if there's no action, what good is it? God has chosen us for such a time as this. There is no, uh, it is not by accident that you were born in this time era. It was not an accident that you were here this morning. We didn't exist thousands of years back, but we exist right now. And God has a purpose for us today. God has chosen to use his church for such a time as this. So we can thank God for what he's done in the past, but we must pray for greater things. We must pray constantly, earnestly, and then we must act. Now, these three points aren't new to you, but we're going to end in this way. As we know that the harvest is the Lord's. He's done all of the work, but then he asks us to pray. And then we see all throughout history that he uses people to save people. The unreached people groups in the Philippines. The other places all around the world that are represented here this morning in, in Europe. Other places in Southeast Asia and in, in Africa. 
they will not be able to respond to the gospel unless somebody goes and tells them. So maybe the question for you this morning is, will you go? Maybe God has been tugging on your heart. And you know it's going to take sacrifice. And you know, maybe even in your head, you're already forming a list of reasons why you can't and why you shouldn't and why maybe this person would be more qualified. But will you go? Would you give up your life? Or maybe you won't go, but you would be faithfully committed to send. I think of this in, in a couple different ways. The first is maybe you as a parent would pray, God, would you send my children? Maybe as a grandparent, you would pray, God, would you send my grandchildren? And we don't quite understand that yet because our baby isn't born yet. But you know that's a difficult prayer to pray because God just might answer it. And it would mean sacrifice in your family and less time for, for you to see your kids or grandkids. But would you send? Would you give financially? Um, this... This is uh, very, I think, difficult for us to picture, but for every dollar that had been given over the past 10 years as representative of individuals and family, like real people with real income, with real bank accounts who are sacrificing for the gospel to go all over the place. And we don't take that lightly, especially being on the receiving end. It's incredibly humbling. But man, it is a worthy cause to sacrifice for And lastly, will you pray? Easy, practical way for us to do that is to set our alarm for 938. Whether that is in the morning or it's at night. To set your alarm clocks or your phone alarm for 938. And when it goes off, you can silence it. But then you would just sit and pray and beg God to send more laborers, to send more workers out into his harvest. Or maybe you would pray, God, would you help Develop in me a compassion greater for the people, that I might in return sacrifice and give more, that I would be convinced that it is me who is to go. Would you pray, not only in the days to come, but would you even pray as we wrap up? That maybe if you're physically able, all of us would come to the altar and we would just beg God, would you send more laborers? into your harvest, that we might be a part of this winning game plan. And then let's see what God will do in response to that. Let me pray as as I close. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for what you've made so evident in your scriptures that you love the nations, you love the masses, and you care so much that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for every person that they might have faith in his sacrifice, and be saved. We pray that your Holy Spirit would do something this morning. Maybe it's somebody who has been wrestling with the call to missions. Would they surrender to missions? Or maybe it's to send. Maybe they would pray for their kids or grandkids. Or maybe it would be for the first time to give financially. Or maybe it's to, in faith, increase their financial gift. But Father, we know that all of us can pray. Would you remind us often to get on our knees and to beg you to send more labors into the harvest as we get to join in on a winning game plan for the nations. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, to close out the service today, I want us to just kind of set in the moment of what we've been challenged to do, to pray.
That's what the text says, right? Jesus said there's this great opportunity. We've been talking about this, right? Many people don't know how to find and follow Jesus. And we have the, the message. And Jesus' answer to the problem, the opportunity, the obstacle was to what? To pray. And you've been challenged the last week or so to make a commitment to give so that more can go. And so I, I just want us for the next few minutes to spend some time in prayer. Maybe for you that's staying in your seat. Maybe for you that's coming and laying this commitment card on the altar and just asking God that God would multiply the gift that you give so that more can hear. You know, the number he mentioned, $6 a week. That's a pretty good investment, isn't it? If I could sacrifice, that seems like such a big sacrifice, right? $6 a week to give so that more could go. And I want to encourage you, if you've never, this, this card says that you will begin or you'll continue or you'll increase. And I want to encourage you, if you've never started and you've never made a commitment to give weekly or monthly for this next year, start somewhere. Maybe it's $6 a week. That's a pretty good number. That's one Starbucks coffee that you give up this week, right? I'm, I'm very thankful that uh, Joy and I, we've been married, we'll be 30 years this year, and we, every year that we've been married, we filled out one of these cards. And it probably started out at maybe less than $6 a week. We were poor 19-year-old college students. But we made an investment. And, and almost every year without fail, God has allowed us to mark the, well, we'll increase it. God's faithful. Yeah. I'm going to ask you to stand. And as God leads... Come and pray. Put your card on the altar. Just let's just let's pray for a moment. Have you guys been encouraged to see the revival spreading across college campuses this last week or so? And as Andrew reminded us, I mean, God can do what He wants, but rarely does God move before we pray. Let's seek the Lord. Let, let, let me pray for us, God. We ask today that as we make these commitments, Lord, that for the next year, we're going to invest more in the cause of Christ for worldwide missions. Lord, we pray for our missionary families that are represented this week, but but the, the families that, that Hallmark gets to be a part of all over the world. We pray you would give them protection and provision and fruit, special grace, special mercy. Lord, I pray as we make these commitments that you'd provide for us, that you would challenge us to be more compassionate, to pray, and to have gospel conversations in our own places of influence. Lord, we thank you for grace. We thank you for Jesus and that the gospel came to us. Lord, as we often say, Lord, we, we pray that as the gospel came to us on the way to someone else, spoken to you. Just come down to pray right now. Just lay your card on the altar. Seek the Lord. In a moment, we're going to begin singing and we'll close out.
in song of worship. Let's seek the Lord.